Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blenzall, Plum Tree Funding, Works Connection, and Fly Racing. It's Sunday. We're back. It's industry seating. My name is Jason Thomas. I appreciate all of you tuning in. Just got back from Dallas, Fort Worth area. Obviously, the Arlington Supercross was last night. Triple Crown. Pretty eventful, right? Uh, I just had that feeling how this was going to go after watching, you know, time qualifying and all the practices, and uh, it, it wasn't a good feeling about the way this this racing was going to go. And unfortunately, I was right. Uh, pretty chaotic night. Entertaining, yes, but we saw a lot of the stars of the sport crash several times. Uh, lost one of the stars in Adam Cincerillo. Uh, heal up quick, dude. Um, Cooper Webb went out as well. And we'll get into all that stuff, but uh, it, was a, it was a pretty wild weekend. I don't know how much we can blame on the Triple Crown for that. I'm sure the people that are so inclined will take, take their opportunity to point towards the Triple Crown format. I don't necessarily think it was that, um, and, I, and I'll give you the reasons why there. Before we get too far, I want to thank all the sponsors that make this possible. Pirelli Tires, Blends All Oils, Works Connection, and Plum Creek Funding, and of course, Fly Racing. Uh, I'll get into those guys a little bit more later, but I want to thank those for making all of this happen. And of course, the, the racing getting started with the 250 class three races, right? Three, three, uh, races for each class. So it's totally different format. And I think these guys have to approach it a little bit differently too. Um, you don't have quite as long to sort out your result as far as one race, right? You, you need to make things happen. And I think you saw that happen, uh, with these guys and the way they approached their, their particular main events, each one of them. And I think that adds to the chaos a little bit. And I think that's why, particularly why we saw more crashing. Some of that was due to the track too. Uh, talk about that a little bit. But for the 250s, you know, it was, overall it was pretty positive night. It wasn't as chaotic as the 450s. You Maybe Jordan Smith would disagree with that. But I think that was more of a, you know, a Jordan Smith problem than it was a 250 class problem. Uh, you look at guys like McElrath and Sexton and Jeremy Martin. RJ Hampshire too. They were pretty calm. You know, they were all in there, all in the mix. Uh, they certainly were the the class of the field. And to even narrow it even further, I, I think we are seeing the two guys that are really going to take this championship down to the wire. Um, it's, it's probably prema premature to say that after only two rounds, but that's just what I see. Uh, McElrath and Sexton just seem to have it all together, you know, consistently, just a little bit more than say J Mart or RJ Hampshire or even a guy like um, Garrett Marchbanks. Hampshire certainly rode really well in that first one. Uh, I just don't know that he's going to be consistent enough to 
match what Sexton and McElrath are going to put on the board. Uh, I, I think he'll have strong nights. I could see him winning a main event just like he did in the first one in Arlington. Uh, but I think you're going to see nights where he puts a fifth or a sixth on the board, has a crash, gets a bad start, and gives up 10 or 12 points on that particular night. And I just don't see that being a viable way to, to win the title for him. So I think the first two are separating themselves, you know, slowly but surely two rounds in. I think that gap will continue to grow. Uh, I love what I'm seeing from Sexton. Um, you know, McElrath was my title pick, but Sexton has over-delivered for my expectations of him. And I think he deserves a ton of credit from, I'll say from me especially, I didn't think he would be this good. I think he's taken a huge step forward from 2019. And I say that knowing he was your champ. But let's remember, you know, Austin Forkner was the guy that dominated that series last year. He went out with an injury at Nashville, but he, he had that title firmly in his grasp. So to me, Sexton looks like a guy who would have given Forkner everything he wanted last season, uh, the way he's riding this year. Uh, so yeah, he, he deserves to get some credit. He's riding much, much better. He is now tied for the championship lead. And after winning last night, you know, if this was, uh, this was the finale, he would be your champ. McElrath rode well, certainly deserves a lot of credit too, but his starts were too inconsistent last night to get a win. And that's really not a, that's not a Shane McElrath character trait typically. So I'm sure he was scratching his head a little bit and then he finally got it right in that third and final main event of the two fifties. And you saw what happened, right? He was able to control the race, get the win, uh, but it was just not enough to get him the overall in the night. So I think those guys will take it moving forward. You know, they've been one, two, two, one. Um, I think deep down that they know they are the best two, and it's probably going to come down to those two. Riders are very aware of who's good and who's bad and who my, you know, serious rivals are and who maybe has a, you know, one random good night, but it's not going to really be in it for the the long haul. They, they are out there and they do their, you know, they're studying on their own and, and they feel each other out. So as much as we sit down, we sit around and bench race on this stuff, they know all too well the unique characteristics of each guy they're racing against. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch that sort out, but I just love that we have a close series. Uh, I think that Sexton and McElrath are very evenly matched. And then thankfully we have some other guys that are going to just insert themselves like RJ. I think J Mart's races are coming. You know, I look towards Daytona as a race that J Mart, he could, he could certainly win Daytona and that would not shock me at all. So we have a lot of different guys that are going to be in and out battling for the wins, uh, which is great. We don't have that dominant force that's just going to run away with a lot of these things and make life boring. And we should be thankful for that because there's, that's been the, that's been the norm in these 250 series a lot of years in the past. And frankly, in the 450, we've seen that too. You go back to Villapoto winning four titles in a row. It's fine, but it gets a little boring for me, you know, watching the same guy win over and over. Um, you know, especially if that guy gets a whole shot, you're just like, ah, okay, great. You know, 20 laps of this, you know, I've seen this over and over. Um, but this season hasn't been that at all in either class. And, um, you know, transitioning into the 450 class, we saw more of the same, right? The the triple crowns, say what you will, they are entertaining, period. And I've been on the side of triple crowns 
you know, I've battled against, you know, the riders and mechanics and I, I understand their side, right? There's more risk, you know, Dean Wilson, I heard interviews with him talking about that this weekend and he's not a huge fan. He just talks about how much more the riders are at risk, that much more racing. And he's not wrong. I get it. I understand what he's saying. I just don't think that the powers that be are going to rule in favor of that versus giving fans and creating a better product for the sport overall. So maybe there are some, uh, considerations made, or maybe there's a a compromise there between what the riders and teams are struggling with and what the, I think a lot of the fans and, and personally myself are enjoying out of these triple crowns. There's just so much more action on a given night. I understand the traditionalists and the purist side saying, yeah, but we don't get that 21 minute race where the fitness comes in and you get to see these guys really wear somebody else down and it really changes weight in the race. That's true. You're not, that's not wrong either. Uh, and we get what 14 of those a year, you know, this, this triple crowns three times per season. So if you're that traditionalist and you want your 21 minute format, that's fine. You're going to get a lot of that throughout a season. And for the riders and teams, same concept. You don't have to do this every weekend. Uh, I understand the cost on the teams, right? It's it's a lot more parts. You all, you pretty much need two bikes to do it correctly because if something does happen to a motorcycle, there's there's really just not time to to fix it. So adding another motorcycle into the equation isn't anything anybody wants to do. Uh, but yeah, I think the longer we go on with this the easier it's going to get for teams to pull off. They're going to, they're going to find ways to get more efficient. And yeah, maybe like I said, the, uh, you know, Feld can get with these teams and riders and find a happy medium to where everybody can live with it. Because I truly do feel like it adds to the sport. I think, you know, going into a trip, it just, it shakes things up, right? It changes the narrative a little bit. And, uh, it's not just the same thing over and over each weekend, because for me, if you just get 17 weeks in a row of the same thing, especially if the series is boring, that's really hard to keep, you know, the fans attention span to get them tuning in every Saturday night. So adding some spice, changing the format a little bit. Uh, I think it's, it goes a long way for, um, just keeping everybody engaged uh, over this long of a season. So like I said, I'm all for it, but I, I understand the concerns on the other side and I'm all for the conversation to find, the perfect solution to make these things work for everybody. So as for the crashing, uh, I think that's on a lot of people's minds. You know, why were there so many crashes? Why did people get hurt? To me, I don't, I don't point to the triple crown for that. I point towards a really tricky racetrack. Uh, the dragon back got a lot of, caught a lot of people. I saw David Villeman tweet, um, something that was really insightful in these dragon back sections, the guys are so talented now and so skilled. And frankly, the bikes are so good too, that they are able to just absolutely blitz blindly through those sections without really exerting a lot of caution. Like they're, they're not really respecting the section so much where I always did. I was always super scared of them and, and not so much about me. I don't have the skill that these guys at the front had. But when I watch them go through there, I don't see them worried about what could go wrong. I just see them hit blitzing as fast as possible and kind of throwing caution to the wind, which is great because that's the fastest way to go through there. But I do think 
there always has to be in the back of your mind. Okay. If, if this does go wrong, if this does go sideways, what's my exit plan. And when you're hitting them that fast and really not worried about where your front end is, if things do go wrong, yeah, you're going to see big crashes like we saw. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, the, all three of those guys, Brayton fortunately walked away. Adam Cincerello did not, uh, he suffered a broken collarbone and then Cooper Webb, he was able to get out of it and he's going to be okay for the most part. I, I saw him at the airport this morning and, uh, he looked much better than I expected. I fully expect him to race Atlanta, but he had a huge get off there and was very fortunate to not be injured severely. So to me, that's just what it was. It was a tricky, tricky section. And to go as fast as possible through it, you had to just pin it, right? They had to just send it through there and blitz off there kind of with reckless abandon, but one out of, you know, a hundred times or however many times they hit it on Saturday between practice and racing. Yeah. It just caught them out. And, uh, it's no different than it can happen in the whoops. It can happen on a dragon's back shoot. It can happen in, uh, just corners, right? We saw Blake Baggett. It happened to him at Anaheim too. just lost traction and high sided violently. So these things happen. The track was, was very tricky. Uh, there was some traction issues going on with, uh, the, the base being really hard packed compared to, uh, what it looked like, right? There was loose dirt on top. It gave these guys traction, but if you really got aggressive on it, you could spin up. And that was definitely catching guys. They were losing the front end where I think they felt like they had traction. It, it appeared like they, they would have grip and they didn't. And then that was causing them to, uh, to crash unexpectedly. And, uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where so much racing on the racetrack really wore the track out. And if you want to point to the triple crowns for that, I'm cool with it. You know, the track's going to deteriorate with more riding. I get it. So, uh, I thought Dirtworks did a great job of fixing the track every time these guys went out. So they, they minimized the impact as much as possible, but Hey, it's just a part of a part of that format. And, you know, conversely on a 21 minute main event, you were going to see a brutalized racetrack because what would have happened is you're going to get a 250 main event on that soft track that was going to beat it up for 16 minutes. You know, those guys, those 250 guys are just going to hammer on it. Well, right after that, you're going to get the 450 main event and they're not going to have time. The Dirtworks crew is not going to have time to go out there and fix the whole racetrack, uh, before the 450s go out there. So it wasn't like the 450 main event was going to be good by any means, as far as the beginning of the race. And then imagine what that racetrack is going to look like after 21 minutes. So, I think the dirt was just going to be something these guys had to deal with, whether triple crown or whether normal format, it was going to be tough sledding as far as the racetrack goes. Uh, I'm thankful for that. We still have a championship battle intact. Uh, like I said, I, I expect Cooper Webb to, to be in Atlanta. I don't know if he's going to be a hundred percent, but just chatting with him, he was in good spirits. Uh, he was walking eh, a little gingerly. I'll give him that. But, um, he, did not have the, the look of somebody defeated, right? I, I think he was thankful to, to still relatively be in this thing. He's only 16 points down and he dodged a big bullet there. So that was cool to see. I was really happy for him. And I, I told him straight up, like, Hey man, I'm, I'm really happy to see you standing here getting coffee with me because I didn't, I didn't think that was going to be happening. I thought you were done. Um, so good news there. I don't know if Eli Tomac would share that sentiment, right? He would probably, uh, not hate to have one less rival in this series, but, um, 
I don't think he wants to see Cooper Webb go out with injury either, right? He wants to beat him straight up. So uh, the racing-wise, you know, Tomac got it done, period. I was wondering, I was wondering though, after that first 450 main event, if we were going to see Dallas 2019 or some sort of, you know, version of that, because he got a bad start, really wasn't able to move forward enough. And, uh, yeah, was looked poised to give up a bunch of points again. And then his, you know, his biggest rivals, especially Ken Roxon got out there and was just gone, right? He, he pulled the Glendale Houdini move where he got to the front on the first lap, put a great pass on Cooper Webb and, it really wasn't a runaway, but he was also kind of unchallenged. And uh, I, I thought maybe we're in for another Glendale, Ken Roxon win. Was not meant to be. Uh, Eli Tomac just had a little bit too much as the night went on. And if you were wondering where Eli's, you know, mentally was for this championship, you know, was he going to let the demons of seasons past kind of, you know, rule the day or affect him? It hasn't happened so far. Uh, Anaheim one was certainly reason to ask all of those questions, right? Cause I, I know I was asking them very loudly and he has, he's answered the bell. He's come back. He's got a seven point lead going into some of his best racetracks and he looks in a, to be in a place where I, we haven't really seen him be, um, midpoint in the season, confidence, right? Uh, because remember last year, this race is where it all fell apart for him and where Cooper Webb really caught fire. And I think Cooper has been vocal about that as like, Hey, no, not much has changed between this year and last year. I just really picked it up. The second half of the season ran away with this thing. Tomac was right there too, a year ago. Well, leaving Arlington, that certainly wasn't the case last year. This was one of the worst races I've ever seen from Eli Tomac as far as Arlington 19 or Arlington, Arlington 20. Uh, it was a statement race to steal the words of Ricky Carmichael and he flat got it done. So, uh, I don't know what it means, right? We always try to draw conclusions, which I think is, it's kind of silly to do because it's a week to week series. You know, if you, if you're really trying to draw hard conclusions off one race, you're going to look foolish week in and week out because the narrative kind of changes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have to like what you're seeing from Tomac if you thought that this was going to be his year, which, you know, most of us did. And we've been wrong year in and year out. And that's that's the biggest part of it is we keep expecting Eli to get it done and he hasn't gotten it done in Supercross. But uh, this certainly looks like his best chance. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a, a pretty fun night. There was a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, the Cooper Webb was a scary part, but there was good racing. You know, Zach Osborne got in there in that last main event and made things interesting. Blake Baggett made it interesting at times too, and he found himself on the ground more times than not. Uh, Martin Davalos, wow. I mean, you want to talk about serious speed, but also how many times can you possibly crash in one night? I think Marty set a record for that, and he was on my fantasy team, so I was. it was much to my dismay, and I was really unhappy with Marty at the end of the night, but it wasn't for lack of trying. I know that. He was giving it his all. He just could not stay off the ground, and uh, I should know better. Marty is a guy that historically loses the front tire at inopportune times. He just, I think he presses so hard going into corners and he trusts his front tire so much that if traction's at a premium, doesn't seem to work out for him, you know, over time, right? Over several laps, he's just going to find himself, you know, losing that front tire, maybe saves it, maybe he doesn't. Arlington was a night where he didn't. Um, 
in that first main event, he moved up into fourth. I believe I believe he was fourth, fourth or fifth, and had it easily. I mean, he was just cruising. And I even said to him, I remember saying to myself, Marty, you have no pressure. Just ride it out. There was like four minutes left. There was there was nobody really coming. There was no reason to do anything stupid or take chances or like override the track or do anything. And it just seems like in those times, Marty, it has to be a mental thing. He has to just lose focus and lose concentration because if I'm sitting there watching the race and, and these guys, you know, we talk about this, there, there is plenty of time when you don't have pressure on you to think about what you're doing, to analyze the race, look at the gap you have, and then make a game plan for how to finish this out. And I think it's, you know, James Stewart was this, that same way. He would just seemingly lose focus and lose his concentration for no reason and make a silly mistake and throw away a good result. I see those same things happen to Marty, and it certainly happened last night. Um, other than that, guys that stood out to me, uh, you know, Justin Barsha was solid again. Never really got the starts to, to make it happen or battle at the front, but another solid night. And uh, I want to give him a shout out because I completely blew it last week. Um, I did not ho- know he got all the way up to fourth. Uh, I even talked about how seventh wasn't a good result and he was much better than that. So he deserves my apologies. And, uh, he backed it up with a- another solid night tonight. You know, it's getting difficult to keep him in the championship conversation because he's just, he's given up a lot of points each weekend. But having said that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being inside the top five week in and week out. It's going to get him a, a factory contract somewhere, you know, being a top five guy steadily. Uh, but, you know, I, I think he has higher aspirations for that. I think he wanted to be in the stretch to win the title late in the series. And, you know, he's just giving up points that he can't afford to give up right now to uh, the likes of Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon. So we'll keep an eye on it. Um, I know he certainly has not given up. He's definitely riding better than he has in several years, and so he should be uh, he should be proud of that. Um, but yeah, I don't I just don't know if that's enough for what he he wants long term. Jason Anderson, uh, he he fought hard, right? He was in that battle uh, in that last main event, and you know he crashed. But holy crap, were he and Eli Tomac sending it in the last race? I mean, to the point where I was like, "There's no way one of these two isn't going down." And it, it happened a little after that. Anderson finally did have a little crash. It wasn't anything serious, but they were on the edge of, on the edge of traction, on the edge of control, on the edge of whatever uh, description you want to add there. But it was both wildly entertaining and a little bit scary because I know, or I don't know, but I, I really feel they were close to to both having big crashes there. But good job by them. Since Rillo, I touched on a little bit, uh, broken collarbone for him. He's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, I do expect to see him back at the end of Supercross some at some point. We'll always have to see how that goes, right? Because if he goes in, he gets it plated. Maybe they just say, hey, uh, let's, let's heal up and be 100% for Hangtown. It's going to be close on timing, and it's, gonna be, it's also going to depend on what they need to do to fix it. Um, plating it is a quicker recovery. It's the, the time back to the motorcycle is less, but it's also more invasive. And, and sometimes, uh, some doctors just want to let it heal on its own. So I'm sure we'll get more information on that in the coming days, but hopefully we see him back sooner than later. I think at worst, at absolute worst, 
we see him come back, which would uh, be at Hangtown, um, but I'm hoping for sooner. So we'll see. Uh, I, I'm sure we'll know this week. Uh, who else? Justin Brayton. Man, that guy hit the ground so many times on Saturday. And you want to talk about Marty crashing. It was very similar for Brayton, but Brayton's crashes were dirty. I mean, he hit the ground like a ton of bricks every time. He was the first one to have a big crash on the dragon's back. Then he had a huge crash on the landing of the finish line. And he, his whole body just bounced off the ground. He, he like slid, his foot came off and then he high sided. And I thought he was hurt. I even texted people like oh, Justin's hurt. And, uh, he got up then crashed a few more times as in the night's racing got up again. So JB glad you're okay. Please stop crashing like that. Uh, we need everybody in this series and frankly, you're too old to hit the ground that hard repeatedly. <laughs> so, um, rough night for him, but he's, uh, he's fighting through it. Uh, I want to talk about sponsors a little bit. Um, and as we go into this, this is going to be a longer podcast because I want to, I want to answer some of your emails. I uh, have a list of emails here that we'll address. And I also want to talk about MXGP, which gets, uh, gets underway next weekend. We are a weekend away from the kickoff of Matterly Basin. Sponsor wise, Pirelli Tires, they are, uh, they're accepting resumes for their new sponsorship season. So that's exciting. Uh, I know they are probably very excited to have their full lineup of racers kicking off at, uh, at Matterly last week, as I mentioned, but, uh, they had their 250 guys in action and, uh, man, they did, can't catch a break in the 450 either. You know, Brock Tickle goes out with a broken hand, so they lose their, their marquee 450 guy again. And what do you say about JGR? <laughs> it's, it's unreal. You know, they're great partners with Pirelli and they just cannot buy a break. Um, but I, they're going to keep trying. And I, if you want to talk about them winning, they're probably a week away from winning a world champion, probably two world championship rounds at Matterly. So brighter days ahead, but thanks Pirelli for all you do. I want to thank Blenzal Oils, David and the guys over there are getting more and more involved with the 2020 racing season. Every time I talk to them, they just signed up Michael Lessi to, uh, to race a Blenzal two stroke at the day in the dirt South race. And the World Two-Stroke Championships at Glen Helen. They'll be at the Daytona Vintage Supercross as well. Uh, but to me, if you're not using Blenzol in your two-stroke, you're missing the boat. Uh, they have documented performance gains on the dyno. And, uh, you know, so whether you're choosing Blenzol Green Label, Blenzol Gold Label, or Blenzol Ultra, which is what Michael Lessie uses, choose Blenzol. Go to your local WPS dealer. Go to Blenzol.com. Uh, get on board. Works Connection, uh, Eric and those guys over there. Listen, if you like getting good starts, go use their Pro Start Launch. It's the only way to be. Uh, I remember the first time I ever used any sort of starting device in 2002, and it was like cheating. So if you're not on board with that, go try it out. Go check out Works Connection. They are moto to the core. They've been around this forever. They cut their teeth with all, you know, all the factory teams. Steve Lampson did a lot of the development in the early days and they've just, they've never looked back from there. So, uh, as I've said every week, I like being involved with core motocross companies that have, you know, they are rooted in this sport and have been around a long time that, and, and I can stand behind them and believe in what they're doing. There's nobody that says that better than, uh, than works connection. So really excited that they've decided to come on board. Uh, my buddy, Zach Morris, I got to see him plum Creek funding, 
hopefully he survived the Supercross Futures race today that he, uh, he they went down to Dallas for. Uh, but if you're in the the market to buy a new house, refinance your house, please reach out to Plum Creek Funding. You can uh, contact him through me or, or reach out to him directly. Uh, he is a moto guy. And, and like I said, a lot of these sponsors are, you know, it's like one big family. So instead of just finding some random, uh, you know, home, home mortgage finance company out of the, I was going to say yellow pages, that's really dating myself, but Googling it, Go find a go talk to a guy that's around moto and, and understands what maybe your personal needs are and you can bench race a little bit with too. He's uh he's tight with some of the Honda guys over there, so you can bag on uh on Tomac, putting the way in the wood to those guys in uh, in Arlington this weekend too. So thanks to Plum Creek Funding and Zach and those guys. Fly racing, of course, thanks for everything that they do. Thanks for allowing me to live the life I lead and uh yeah, giving me an opportunity to stay in this sport for the past, you know, going on eight years. So love all the sponsors and uh, want to give them their due. So back to the racing. Uh, we'll get into the Triple Crown here before we talk in, talk to some, some MotoGP and some listener emails. Tenth uh, place this week. What do we thought? What do we think? I have Zach Osborne there. Uh, I had him out of it last week. So if you're wondering how he could get a fifth place this week and, and still be 10th, that's because he was completely out, out of my power ranking last week. It's been rough. Uh, Steve Mathis and I have been giving him a hard time on group texts about how this has been going, but he bounced back. He called a shot. He said in our fly racing radio show that we do on Saturday afternoons that he was going to be better. And he was, he was in, he was leading laps, you know, in that third and final, uh, main event there. So welcome back. Maybe this gets the momentum going in the right way. Maybe he can use this as a stepping stone to, to you know, propel him to where he wants to be week in and week out. I have Brayton at number nine, and uh, yeah, it's he was good. He just could not stay on his motorcycle, and you know, this is the second week of the year that he's been out of the top ten. So that's to me, that's saying something. Uh, he's only had two bad races of the year. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, I think he'll bounce back nicely, uh, at Atlanta to track. He generally rides well. Mookie, I have at eight, kind of a quiet night for Mookie. Um, not terrible, but it wasn't the flashy Mookie that we saw a week ago in Tampa. Right. And that's, that's kind of what I was looking for. I wanted to see, the Mookie that has everybody jumping out of their seats and where he's, he's in podium contention. So Mookie's results were eight, six, nine on the night. That's not terrible, but it's not, it's not the, the crowd, uh, you know, rising. I don't even know the right term there, but it's not going to get people out of their seats. And that's what Mookie has always brought to the table in the past. So, uh, going into two races that are familiar for him, Atlanta and, and Daytona, uh, more opportunities for him to, show some of that Mookie fever that has always been synonymous with him. So have him at eight, Justin Hill at seven and Justin's steadily moving forward. He's a guy that is, he's earning my respect and I have, I've been hard on Justin Hill in my analysis in the past, but I felt like it was warranted to be hard on him. Uh, I just didn't see the effort level from him that I need or I want to um, kind of give my stamp of approval, which let's face it means nothing, but he's getting it now. He's trying hard. He's fighting for position. 
He's, uh, he, I mean, he was your fastest time qualifier in both of the time sessions this weekend. That's, that's a pretty serious statement to make right there. And yes, Adam Cincerello hurt himself, but so what? You're beating the likes of Tomac and Roxon and Webb and on and on and on. So he's steadily climbing the ladder. He was sixth this weekend, which, okay, yeah, last week was fifth, whatever. But he went, uh, what do you go, six, three, eight, right? So that third place in the second main event, his best finish of the season. And he's showing more and more promise as we move on. So great job by him. He deserves a lot of credit. And I want to make sure uh, that I'm on record saying how much I appreciate a guy that's, that's improving and you can see the hard work in his riding. So great job from him. Great job by the Bullfrog Spas Smart Top Moto Concepts team, giving him the support he needs to step forward. Jason Anderson, I have at five. And good ride from, from JA21. Uh, three, two, five on the night, which is, that's super solid, right? Uh, that last one, he was fighting for the win, ended up crashing, but I love to see him send it in there. He and Tomac were going for it, as I mentioned earlier. And you know, three, two going into that last one, anything's possible because Tomac had a five and a one. So Anderson had your overall lead going into that last main event. So of course he's going to fight for it to try to get his, his first win of the season. But I like what I saw from Anderson. I I like the aggression and he looked engaged in, in the race. Um, at times this season, I don't want to say that he looked disinterested because I don't think that's true. It just didn't look like he had what it takes or what it took to win the race. And I thought last night he did. Um, it didn't work out for him, but it was a step forward if your goal is to be a race winner this season. Um, if your goal is to get fifth, great. He was already there. He's putting in solid laps. But if if you want to put in those last few percent that it's going to take to win, that's what I saw from him. Great job from him. Uh, got on the podium again. Uh, what's that three podiums this year, at least I could be wrong on that. Uh, but he's been super solid this year. And I wondered how his, um, separation from being at the, the Baker compound in Florida every day, because he was in California a lot. He wasn't riding with, with Webb and, and, uh, Osborne every day. I wondered how that would affect his season. seems like it's going just fine. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen any, glaring, uh, symptoms of him not being around, you know, that program every single day. He is still a part of the program. I want to make sure I I note that, but it's, it's always a little different when you're in California and you're not under the, the watchful eye of Alden every day and also not battling it out with Cooper and, uh, and Zacco every day. I think that that could be uh, a negative, just not having those those daily battles with those two. Um, but he, he's not really showing any, you know, signs of, uh, of that being a negative. So good job from him again this weekend. I have Barsha at four. Again, I, I totally blew it last week. Um, I went on and on about him getting seventh and how that hurt his season and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm an idiot and I was just wrong. So, uh, I have him at four. He was fourth again last night, four, five, four scores from him. And really, that's just solid, right? It's not going to win you a title. And, you know, that has to be mentioned in there. But in a contract year, when you're just trying to be one of the guys, and I'm going to put air quotes around the guys, because there are a limited number of guys who are going to be on factory teams and get paid a lot of money. I think he's he's asserting himself and he's deserving of being in that mix. So 
good job from him. He deserves credit. He's having a bounce back year. And, uh, I think, you know, we're, we're about that halfway mark now. So I don't see any reason why anything's going to change now. I think you're going to see him continue to be a top five guy. We lost Cincerillo. Uh, I think Cooper Webb will be out there, but maybe he's under the weather, so to speak for the next couple of weeks, just health wise. So maybe that's an opportunity for Barsha to get back into that, onto that podium. I have Webb at three, uh, even with the injury. Um, he's just been solid. He's still third in points and for him to fight through that injury and, and walk around the airport this morning, I, I wrote on my notes here, tough SOB. That guy is tough. Um, I have to be honest. I was not really like a Cooper Webb fan. I didn't dislike him. That's not fair. It, it was more of just being really neutral on Webb. I didn't really have an opinion either way. He has earned my respect uh, over the last year and a half because of the just incredible season he put together last year, kind of out of nowhere. And then the resiliency I've seen from him, he is just, he's really, he's a tough dude. And I, I'm, you know, kind of restating that, but, um, respect is always going to be earned from me. You know, I, I, I try not to form opinions without evidence to support it. And, uh, Webb's winning me over. Um, I, re- I really like the way he approaches racing. He kind of has that Chad Reed in him where he, he's just, he doesn't care what you think. He's going to have his own opinion of his own racing and he's going to think he can win no matter what. Doesn't matter if he gets beat down time and time again. Doesn't mean doesn't matter if he gets smoked on a given weekend. He's going to show up the next weekend and think he can win. And until you prove otherwise, or you just straight up beat him, he's not going to give you an inch. And uh, I really respect that approach to racing. So great job from Webb. Really happy to see him somewhat okay and uh, able to fight on. Rocks and I have at two. Uh, he dominated that first one, right? That was a great ride from him after a pretty tough day of qualifying. I think he was sixth fastest in qualifying, which isn't superb by any means. And I think he was struggling a little bit in the afternoon with a really beat up racetrack. And I don't, I think this is something I'm learning about Roxon. When the track is really beat up, that's not good for him. I think it's somewhat mental with him. You know, that, that injury in 2017, I think left a lasting mark to where the, when the track is really sketchy and really difficult to be consistent and go fast on without a lot of risk. I think, I don't know the right terminology. I don't want to say checks up. I just don't think he is always willing to take huge chances on a really sketchy racetrack. And there's nothing wrong with that. I get it, man. I, I don't blame him at all. It's just what I kind of see from him is when things aren't perfect he's going to hold back just a tiny bit to make sure he doesn't throw it away. And that's not a bad way to approach a championship. Look at Cooper Webb, right? He's never been the guy to toss it away. And he did just that last night. So maybe that will serve Roxon well when we get to, uh, to Utah in early May. But maybe it won't. Maybe Tomac, you know, those wins that Tomac is racking up by taking chances right now serve him better. Uh, I, I don't know how that all play out. That's, you know, that's the great part of racing. We're going to get our answers, but it's just something I've learned watching Roxon is he just gets a little conservative when the track starts to go sideways. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. We're going to have some really tricky racetracks moving forward when we get into 
Atlanta, probably Indy, Detroit, uh, some of these tracks where we're getting into, you know, springtime, a wet spring in uh, the Midwest. That's just, we're going to get ruddy racetracks and it's going to break down. So see if, if I'm right on that, or maybe, maybe he'll prove me wrong and, and I'll look stupid. I'm okay with that. But, uh, that's just what I've noticed. He doesn't get a good start. He doesn't want to take big chances to get to the front. And when the track starts to go away, he doesn't really take the chances that it requires to get to the front. Uh, obviously I have Tomac at one. He's the only guy left. And, um, yeah, he got it done last night. This was a, a race I had circled because he really struggled. This was a horrific race for him in 2019. He comes back and is your winner of Arlington in 2020. Great job from him. I think he really uh, sent a message to these guys that, you know, he's here to win this title this year. Like, forget about whatever's happened to him in the past. Forget about all the the opportunity he's had that he let get away. Uh, he's He can only control what's going on in 2020, and he looks like he's here for all of that, right? The kids would say he's here for the smoke. Uh, I am way too old to say that. So let's just pretend I did not say that, but however you want to phrase it, it looks like Tomac wants every bit of this 2020 supercross championship. So I posed the question I wrote in my notes, is this the best Eli we've seen since the dominant Eli we saw in 2017 where he was just crushing everyone? I don't know. Um, you have to compare that to the field, right? Different series. You know, Dungey was really the only one in that fight, and Dungey was kind of letting it come to him. Eli was much better than everyone I feel in the 2017 season, even though he didn't win the title. He was just better. I mean, you don't win the way he was winning without being a lot better than those guys. But he also threw a lot of, way, a lot of races. His East Rutherford race was just mind-numbing. Like, you just can't explain it, right? It was just like, what are you doing you're giving away millions of dollars and a championship right now. What are, you know, so not to, to, you know, beat a dead horse there, but I don't know if he's better than he was in 17. Um, I think mentally he is, I think mentally he's showing more poise than he did in 2017. So if you want to talk about the total package as a racer, I'm good with that. That's, that's a good way to approach it as mentally he's better than he was in 2017. So a lot of racing left to go. Tomac has a seven-point lead over Ken Roxon. Uh, they have 16 points over uh, Cooper Webb after his tough night. But, yeah, a lot of racing left to go. So I don't think anything's been decided just yet. Um, but super interesting series so far. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk some MXGP. And as some of you know, I've had the opportunity uh, the last couple of years to do some television commentating with uh, Sir Paul Malin, and I'll call him Sir because he is that damn good at this. But um, that's a great opportunity for me, and I've really uh, enjoyed that. So I will do that again this season. Uh, I just booked travel plans for Majora. That would be my first one I'll be at, which is in uh, the middle of May. Same weekend as Hangtown, actually. Uh, but those guys kicked their series off at Matterley Basin in England this coming weekend. And if you're not a mo an MXGP fan, you need to catch the fever because that is a great series with some unbelievable talent, and it's just getting deeper and deeper. And for those of you who do know, if you look at the entry list and the talent that is in that MXGP class, it's serious. It's unreal. I mean, even the guys that have just moved up, the Covingtons and, and the Volanderins and these guys, 
they're so damn good. And now they're just adding to a class that it's going to be brutal to just get points in. Uh, I listened to the, the guys at MX vice, their podcast, and they're right. Just getting points in the MXGP class is going to be a challenge this 2020 season. It's really, really deep, you know, and most guys are healthy. I think, uh, Cairoli would be your biggest question mark as far as preparation going in as, as far as the, the elite guys anyway, yes, he's racing, but I don't think he's a hundred percent yet. Uh, he's probably getting close, but I think it's going to take a couple of rounds where you see the best, uh, of Tony Cairoli, but you've got Jeffrey Hurlings, right? You've got that superstar power. You've got the defending champ, Tim Geiser coming in and, uh, you've got Glenn Koldenhoff who's just been a revelation right in the last season or so his his motocross of nations exploits the last two years are stuff of legend and if you looked at you look at the way he ended his 2019 mxgp season there's no reason why he couldn't on paper be the favorite to win this thing i don't know that he will uh i have jeffrey hurlings as the favorite which probably most people do tim geiser he deserves that respect because he won a ton of races last year. He deserves to be a lot of people's favorites as well. Um, Cairoli, I mean, he's what nine time champ. Um, he deserves to be, I'm sure a favorite for some as well. I just, I don't know where he's at on the prep level. So I'll, I'll wait and see on, on Cairoli, but there are just guys all over the board. You know, what's Roman Febra going to do? He's making his move to monster energy, Kawasaki, very close. Fly racing was very close to inking a deal with that team for the 2020 season. We, uh, unfortunately didn't get it done. So I learned a lot about that operation. I think Febra's in a very good place to have a better year. Uh, I do think he'll win a race or two this year, you know, whether he can be consistent enough to be a title threat, we'll see. But, uh, you know, he joins Clement de Sal over there at, at uh, the, the Cowie team. And I think that's going to be a positive move for Febra. I think it's a nice change of pace, change of scenery. And, you know, he changed numbers. He was, he, you know, he's been the number 461 forever. He changes to number three. So he will have a very Eli Tomac-esque look. The number three on an Alpine Stars, in Alpine Stars and on a Kawasaki, right? Monster Energy Kawasaki. So he'll look exactly like Eli out there. But uh, I'm interested to see how he bounces back after a big femur injury at Udabala, which I, I was there. I saw it live and was commentating with Paul. Sucked to see him go down, but uh, he's back to 100% and, and ready to be a title contender again. You know, what does Mitch Evans do? He's first year, the Australian moving over to uh, to Honda HRC. I don't see him being a, a threat to win, right? I think he'll be good. I think he'll be in, in the mix at times and surprise. He's, he's had a really good offseason. These preseason races, he's he's certainly impressed, but I, I just can't see him, see him being in the battle with Hurlings week in and week out. Uh, but there are just storylines across the board. You know, the Jonas's and and uh, Gautier Paulin, all those guys will be back in action, right? Those They were, I thought Jonas was a revelation. I didn't expect much from him at all, and he was a podium guy at a bunch of races last year. And how does he respond another year under his belt on the 450? I have high hopes for him. I, I think he'll be legit. Koldenhoff switching. It's kind of laughable. You'd say switching to gas gas. But, uh, yeah, same equipment he's been on. His, his bike will be red instead of orange, but he's going to be on the same equipment. So look for him to come out swinging. I think Koldenhoff, the big thing for him will be, can he 
come out and assert himself early in the series and be in this thing down the stretch because you if you look at his last two years, he really hasn't caught fire until it was too late. He had given up way too many points and fallen off the back early before he made himself and his presence known. If he can start fast and come out and win a moto or, or be on the podium at Matterly and you know they head down to Argentina and they have uh, Vulcan Swords round two and then Argentina, if he can get through these first early rounds, sneak a win in there, get in the points battle, these guys should be very concerned with Glenn Koldenoff because I don't know where this, this pace has come from. It's certainly not what I expected, but he proved last year that he can definitely win, and especially late in the season, he gets on a roll, and he could be someone that these guys have to be much more worried about title-wise than they've ever been. Uh, for Geiser, I don't know what to make of this 2020 season. I'm He should be a guy that I'm pointing to to win a lot, but... I just don't know. He crashes so much and so violently that it was a miracle that he did not hurt himself in 2019. He was great. Don't get me wrong. And when he beat Tony Cairoli in Italy last year, beat him straight up. It was such a statement race from him. He, he earned a lot of respect for me, but then he had crashes like at Matterly where I'm like, how did he get up from that? He's like, he's like Gumby. Like he's like made of rubber. I don't even know, understand how his body contorted that way. And he didn't have multiple injuries yet. He just gets up and keeps going. So I don't know that that's something that you can just do again and again and keep getting up without hurting yourself. So that's what I'm most interested in with Geyser is hurling's going to be bringing it right. And you know, Cairo is going to want to get some wins early in the season. Koldenhoff's a bad dude. So when Geyser has to send it to win, He's going to, you know, he, I'm trying to think how to approach this. When Hurlings got hurt and Cairoli got hurt, Geiser was able to win without really pushing the envelope. Okay. He's not going to be able to do that at the beginning of this 2020 season. If he wants to win, he's going to have to push the edge. That's when Geiser gets in trouble. That's when he has huge crashes. And that's, that's my biggest question is, can he win without having to push over the edge and without crashing. And my answer going into the season to that would be no. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just making a prediction. I think he's going to have some wild crashes trying to go with hurlings and trying to prove that he's the man, right? Air quotes around the man. I think he and hurlings are going to have some, some, uh, some battles for ego to prove who's, you know, who's the rightful, uh, you know, champ for this 2020 season. Uh, I'll be interested to see if Tony Cairoli can stay out of that and be the the elder statesman that's a little bit wiser than those two and and lets them fight it out and lets them crash their brains out. But uh, I don't know. I, I Hurlings is my is my favorite. Uh, that's every I think everybody's favorite for the most part would pick Hurlings going in. But I think there's a lot of opportunity from these other guys to to capitalize on mistakes and these early rounds. I think being smart is going to be paramount to everything else because all these guys are so wound up, right? Even if you're a fan or you're working the MXGP paddock or if you're a racer, you're looking up and down the starting grid and you're like, holy crap, there's a lot of talent here. So uh, they're going to be in, 
like really taking chances at this Matterly round. And uh, if we get dry weather where they can really ride hard, you know, it's not a full mutter like Motocross the Nations a couple years ago. I think you're going to see some pretty big crashes because guys just taking too many chances and, and too wound up at the first round. So I couldn't be more excited. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be at Majora, then probably Utabala. I think uh, Steve Mathis and I are going to venture over for that, and I'll uh, do TV with, with Malin there as well. And then I'll do the last two, um, which would be Imola in Italy. Or excuse me, that would be the last round, the finale. And then I'll stay back in Europe and uh, go to Motocross the Nations. So I don't know if I'll work that week or take a week of vacation and just uh, just hang in Italy and, and France that week or what I'll do. But I'm, those are the four I'll be at. So I'm super excited. Uh, I can't wait to get back over there. I love traveling to Europe. I think I've been there somewhere around 150 times now, um, which is a little scary to, to actually voice that. But uh spent a lot of my life in Europe, and uh, I, I really enjoy my time there. So MX2 class. Uh, I think this series will, you know, be a, a KTM show again. Well, I say KTM, but Husky and KTM again, uh, whether it's, uh, Thomas Kier Olson or Tom Vial, uh, and I guess Renee Hofer should be in there as well, but those guys just seem to have a stranglehold on this series and they've won seemingly everything. Uh, the departure of Jorge, Jorge Prado, who I did, I failed to mention in my, uh, MXGP class, he's out for a while with uh, a broken femur. But he leaves a big void in that class, and who's going to step up and go win? My pick would be probably Vial. I, I like the progress he made, but on paper, I think it should be Thomas Kier Olsen. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have any real insight as to uh, anything more than that, um, but if we've learned anything, uh, KTM and, and these KTM and Husky programs seem like they really have the, a stranglehold on this MX2 title. So I, I would look for one of those two guys. And then how much progress can uh, Rene Hoffer make? Can he really assert himself and become a real threat? Um, you know, this under 23 age group really um, times these guys out, right? When they finally, these guys start to make progress, then they get a little bit older and have to move out. So it does keep for fresh faces in there. Will any of the EMX 250 guys that are stepping up be able to battle for a championship? I, I don't know. You know, I, I think uh, Rowan van de Moestijk would be maybe the most likely guy that could get in there and, and make something of this. He was great uh, down the stretch of the EMX series last year. His lap times were, were really, really strong comparably to, I'd say, the top five um, you know, MX two guys. And obviously when we get into some of the, the Belgian races, the Dutch races, he's, he's really going to be at the front. Uh, I, f I failed to mention Yago Geertz as well. Uh, he was a rider last year that, that Paul Malin really clued me into in the MX two class, as far as a guy that shoulda, woulda, coulda be in the title fight. And, you go to Lamo or Balkansward, yeah, he's going to be in the mix. Um, it just seemed like he had so many inconsistent races that he kind of single-handedly took himself out of the, the title fight. But we got to remember that Prado was an unstoppable force in that series last year. So everyone's going to be approaching this series as it's their year, right? It's Now it's their time to shine. So who gets it done, right? Who can step up and go win that championship. Uh, all those guys are viable. 
Uh, I heard rumors, and I don't know if this got confirmed or not, that uh, Yago would be on uh, an engine comparable to the Monster Star Yamahas in the U.S. So that's an interesting development, if true. Um, I'll ask around and see if I can get confirmation on that. But those bikes are ridiculously fast in the U.S. The main question I would have on that is the fuel. Because the U.S. fuel, uh, we're, we're able to use a much more potent fuel. Uh, so I don't know how that would work. I don't know if that engine package would just be easily transferable. Maybe they could just manipulate the fuel map and, and uh, still get the same performance. But uh, I'll find out about that. But that could be a big, a big help for, for Yago if he's on a, an engine that strong. Because if you've watched anything, you've seen how how much of an edge the, uh, the factory KTMs have over everybody, whether it's Vial or, or Prado or whoever seemingly gets on one of those motorcycles, they whole shot every single time. And I can tell you being there in person, watching those, those bikes accelerate. I don't know what they're doing different. I don't know if it's just, uh, if it's electronics or just a complete package, they have a huge edge. I mean, they, and, and some of the deep stuff, like really deep, uh, like loamy dirt, they like their bikes aren't even laboring. Like I, I really noticed it in China. There was a section that went along the mechanics area and it was super deep, right? They had just built this racetrack for the MXGP series to come over and they had done a great job of creating really, really tacky dirt, but it was super deep on uh, on Saturday morning. And when Prada would land off of a, it was kind of a rolling single and he would have to come from almost a dead stop he would just like, he would go through this super deep dirt. Like it was nothing like it was hard pack. And then I would watch the other guys, whether it was even, you know, factory Yamaha's like Yago Geertz or whoever you want to, you want to pick, you could just hear their two fifties laboring to stay in the meat of the power and to drive forward. Uh, so yeah, it was a really noticeable difference. And obviously Vial and, uh, and Hofer will be trying to exploit uh, whatever engine performance advantage they have. So interesting stuff across the board. I could not be more excited to, uh, to kick this thing off this weekend in Matterly. So like I said, if you're, if you've not been a fan, this is your opportunity to get involved. The, uh, MXGP TV, uh, package is really, really good. They show all the racing. They show all the, all the qualifying from Saturday, all the motos. Um, and you can listen to yours truly at a, a few of those as well. So, thankful to them for the opportunity. Uh, so let's get into, uh, some listener, some listener emails. I've been asking for feedback right there. These are my printouts I have, and, uh, you guys have been delivering. So Zach Cantrell asks, um, he is, he's asking me how the pro riders deal with fear and whether it's uh, a certain jump or a section or just nervousness about racing. Um, you know, he's, he's raced a long time, but it's something that he deals with, right? How do you, how do you get over the fear of crashing? Like if you have a big get off, how do you just line back up and and put it out of your mind? So interesting question. And I think it's a little bit different for everybody. I was always nervous. Um, I really struggled even during the week. Like I would always, I was perpetually in fear of hurting myself. And it's just, I don't think it's something you can completely get out of your mind. But once the gate dropped for me, it kind of went away and, uh, I just kind of got into a zone when I was riding and didn't worry about it. But 
I can remember driving to the racetrack just every day being like, man, I don't want to get hurt today. I just hope I get through the day, do all my laps and I get to go home. And that was every day. And that's just how I lived on race mornings. You know, I was really, really nervous about how I was going to do, but I was also nervous about hurting myself. And I, I think that's just a natural part of it for some people. It certainly was for me. Um, so I don't have a great answer, but I think most riders it's, it's in their psyche somewhere. You just have to learn to cope with it and learn how to not let it, uh, be in control, right? You have to be in control of your fear instead of vice versa. It, it can't let it, you know, it can't cloud your judgment. It can't determine how you're going to live your life, right? Because you can get hurt riding motocross. You can get hurt in a car wreck. Um, so yeah, obviously making smart decisions on your motorcycle is, is paramount. Don't ride over your head. You know, don't do stupid things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Um, but when it comes to racing, it's just part of life, man. Things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, I always tell parents, like if you're, you're going to go racing with your child, you have to be willing to accept the fact that he's probably going to hurt himself at some point. Um, that's just a part of the sport. It's, it's unfortunate. No one likes that, but it's, it's probably going to happen at some point. Hopefully it's not serious. Right. But, uh, it's, it's the literally the only negative of the sport that I know is, is injuries. So, but if you're looking at football or other sports, injuries happen there too. You know, football is a dangerous sport as well. So, um, Zach, I would just tell you to, to mentally just try to talk yourself through it and, uh, realize it's something you love doing and, and you probably wouldn't want it any other way. And just try to be smart, try to use your head. And, and, um, I, when I see a lot of people hurting themselves, a lot of times they're doing stupid things they shouldn't be doing. They're jumping a section that is over their skill level and just generally inadvisable. So just keep in mind and, uh, yeah, sorry, I don't have a better answer for you, but it was certainly something I struggled with there. Uh, Ty Ports, uh, I've battled this guy in, in Moto Fantasy for a long time. Um, he's asking about Tickle's return, which unfortunately was short-lived. Um, but, you know, he's asking about his suspension and how, you know, Alden factored, in, factored into that and all of the, the ripple effects of uh, the Brock Tickle suspension. And if, you know, if he thought that, there could have been more support given by Alden or KTM or whatever. Um, it's interesting with that, you know, we, we really never got to the heart of the matter on what went on, why he, uh, took something that maybe he shouldn't. I I'm not exactly sure of all the details with it. Um, it's such a slippery slope with, with WADA and USADA and all the drug testing and how the process goes. Um, there are, there are so many more questions than answers with how this stuff is handled, right? Christian Craig's situation handled really poorly. No answers from anybody for months and months and months. Cade Clayson, no answers, no response. Brock Tickle, no answers, no response. Uh, it's honestly unacceptable the way it's been addressed. I'm all for drug testing. I think it's, it's necessary in modern, modern sport. Uh, there are just so many ways to gain an advantage that we have to keep an eye on it. But the way it's been addressed, as far as WADA goes about it, I'm not a fan. Like they have not done anything to earn my respect, nor will I give it to them. So, um, you know, as far as Alden and all that stuff goes, I'm sure Alden wasn't pumped, right? No one, no one wants their rider to be associated with any of that. 
I thought it was uh, pretty stand up of a lot of Brock sponsors to stick behind him through those times. Uh, you know, Alpine star supported him. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm sure Brock has regrets there and you know, it sounded like he just took something that was really, uh, marginal. You know, there are a lot of things that you can take that you can just get a GNC. And this happens to a lot of Olympic Olympic athletes. There are things that GNC sells, or you can just buy it. your over the counter that will fail a WADA test. And that's pretty scary, especially when a lot of these athletes are so ill-informed, you know, these, these are motorcycle racers. They're not, uh, college educated nutritionists or anything like that. So look at Christian Craig, right? He took, he was drinking a nutrition drink that he thought was totally fine. It was not fine. He, he failed his test and, um, yeah, it was a horrific deal for him to go through. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like he was going out and taking EPO or something. Right. So really slippery slope with that stuff. I don't know the answer to it, but definitely doesn't seem like it's been handled all that well or been the best system we could we could have over the last few years and uh i don't really see any any good answers for it right now because it seemed like uh you know supercross signed up again with wada it's much to the dismay of a lot of teams and riders there were some very heated conversations about uh supercross you know signing up with wada again um so we'll just have to play that by ear it's i don't I don't think there's, you know, any, um, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow right now. It seems like we're in the same exact spot we've been over the last few years. And I'm almost waiting for the other shoe to drop for who's going to get popped next for something that probably isn't that, you know, crazy, right? That's what you hate to see is guys test positive for something that's not really giving them an advantage. You know, if you're doing steroids or you're taking EPO or you're taking HGH. Yes, you should get hammered by the letter of the law, throw the book at them, but that's not really what we're seeing in a lot of these cases. And, uh, guys are getting their, their careers ended, you know, like James Stewart, that was basically the end of James's career was the Adderall thing. And yeah, James was in the wrong. I mean, you have to have a TUE for that stuff, but again, he wasn't taking, you know, like he wasn't Lance Armstrong, right? He wasn't on that level of, um, you're becoming superhuman because of the things you're taking. So I don't know. I'm very torn on it. As you, as you can tell, uh, my buddy, Jim, um, up in, uh, he's in new England area. I always see him at the Foxborough supercross and Southwick. He's asking uh, about, uh, supercross futures. So he's going to do the supercross futures at Gillette, Gillette stadium, which is Foxborough. And, um, he's basically, he's facing something that I think a lot of people do is they're going to race this one-off supercross race. They can't afford or don't want to go out and revalve all their suspension, spend a ton of money for one race. So what can they do to adjust their bike for that one race? That's going to get them by and help them and, and hopefully keep them safe, uh, without breaking the bank on completely changing their bike for one, one weekend. Uh, so, you know, I, I emailed him back on this, but, um, you know, basically just start with turning all the clickers all the way in. You're going to want to go as stiff as possible on everything. Uh, I, I think another thing you can do as well is, uh, slow the rebound down, which is, it's just going to allow things to happen a little bit slower. Um, if you get, if you have a big landing and a big compression on the shock, it's going to rebound slower, right? So it's just gonna, it's going to protect you a little bit. It's, it's not going to, well, I shouldn't say it, it's going to make you go a little slower. Like it's not the fastest absolute way to ride a motorcycle, uh, but it's going to 
keep things from happening faster than you'd want them to. Let me put it that way. I think for anybody racing these futures events, especially if you're a vet rider or just, you know, a weekend warrior, safety is the number one goal, right? You want to be able to go to work on Monday. Uh, so yeah, going stiffer, slowing the rebound down, going in on your uh, high speed compression will help a little bit too. Um, basically anything that's going to keep you from crashing is, is where I'm going to steer you to go. Um, you can, uh, raise the, or excuse me, lower the forks a little bit. Um, that's going to give you a little bit more stability. It's not going to turn as well. That's another factor. So, right. If you're looking for performance, that's not going to help, but it is going to give you a little bit more stability. Um, it's going to lengthen, you can lengthen your wheelbase, you know, you could, uh, bring the axle back as long as you have enough adjustment in your chain, that's going to add stability to the bike too. Again, you're going to sacrifice turning a little bit with that. But my concern with anybody doing a one-off supercross for the first time is just not hurting themselves. So I'm going to always give you advice to make your bike, uh, a safer motorcycle to ride than I am the absolute fastest motorcycle because, when you try to make your bike more nimble and faster and, uh, all that stuff makes it easier to crash in my opinion, in my experience anyway. So, uh, thanks Jim for the question and please be careful as everyone is at the, uh, the Arlington futures as we speak right now. I'm hoping that's a safe and enjoyable day for everybody. Next up is uh Skylar Bassett. Um, he's asking me <laughs> first. He says, I don't know how you do a podcast by yourself for this long. Trust me, Skylar. I don't either. Um, every single week, right before I hit record, I'm like, what am I going to say for the next hour? I don't really know. I have notes, but I am kind of winging it. So yeah, you're, uh, we're all in this thing together. Um, he's asking me about Adam Cincerillo, which it's a bummer. He just got hurt. Um, he's asking me kind of about, uh, Adam's mental state when, um, passing Cooper Webb, right? So is there anything to the Adam Cincerillo Cooper Webb battles and the ongoing rivalry that those guys have had for years? You know what? I don't really think so. Um, it's really tough when you're in a race like that, there's so much going on. So to think about one guy, you know, if you're in a race and you guys are out by yourself and you're like 10 seconds ahead of everybody, okay, yes, that that could come into play. But if you're in a battle, you're worried about everything, right? You're worried about yourself. You're worried about the guys in front of you. You're worried about the guys behind you. There's generally not a lot of time to think about battles when you were on 80s, right? And on super minis, you just don't have time to reminisce like that. So you're trying to focus forward. You're trying not to crash. You're, you're reading your pit board. You're you know, doing all these things while you're in the race. Um, I don't think it was so much a Cooper thing specifically. Um, I think it's just one of those things where it's, those guys are pushing the edge and, and pushing traction and yeah, trying to, trying to win the race. And one thing we've seen from Adam over the years is he is prone to, to making mistakes. I hate to say that on a weekend, he hurts himself. That's really poor timing and that's not what I'm trying to do, but he's a guy that he's big risk, big reward, right? He wins races. He leads a lot of laps. He's almost always your fastest qualifier, but he has also shown a propensity to crash and throw races away. And that's just who he is. And I think he'll get better about that. He certainly, uh, was able to eliminate that last summer. He was your 250 national champion, but in this supercross game, he's just still has that tendency in him. And, uh, as he gets older and more mature, Hopefully he'll be able to 
at least limit that in, uh, in his riding and become more of a 17 round 450 supercross title threat. Um, but it, it's going to be, have to have to be a concerted effort. He's going to have to, to figure it out, which all these guys do. Um, you're seeing Zach Osborne work through those growing pains right now too, right? It's not something that just comes naturally. Um, you know, I think, and Steve Mathis and I've talked about this a lot, staying healthy for 17 rounds is it's a skill. You have to know when to back it down when it's not your night. And I think Ken Roxon is absolutely trying to do that. I think when you see him unwilling to take big risks, I think that's, that's him enacting that plan. He's like, Hey, it's just not the time to do something stupid. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to lay up here and get fifth. That's just how it's going to have to be tonight, but I'll be out there next weekend and I'm going to still be a couple points out of the title fight where maybe if I went for it here, I crash my brains out and I'm done for the series. So it's just something AC is going to have to work on as he gets uh, older and more mature. Uh, Samuel Hastings asks, what season are you most proud of in your professional career? I don't know. Um, you know, there were a bunch of seasons that were, that were a lot different and they were really good for different reasons. I, I more look at different races that I'm proud of. Uh, and I don't, I don't really like to talk about my own racing cause it wasn't that spectacular. When I watch Eli Tomac and these guys, those guys are spectacular. I was just an also ran. I was out there with these guys, but I know how much better they were. I know how much better Chad Reed and Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart were than I, you know, they were that much better than I was, but there were some races that I worked really hard for. I prepared really hard and I put all of myself into, uh, the races I won in Montreal. Uh, that was a cool race every year. The German Supercross Championships, I really, I was all in on my prep level for that for that stuff, and um, being able to win championships and races on a a pro level like that is not something that I take for granted. Even if I wasn't battling Carmichael, I get it, I understand it was a lower level of competition, but races like that, going to, you know, winning in Australia, winning in Austria, winning it all over, right? I won in all these countries that. Um, they were really cool races. You know, I got to go battle guys like David Villeman in Barcelona and yes, he beat me. I got second, but it's cool, man. Like those are legends of the sport and I was in the mix. So I think my international career is probably the things I'm most proud of and where I shined. Uh, but I also, I really worked hard for it. And that's, I think where my pride comes from is knowing the effort I put in and, and that stuff paid off. And I had to learn and, and I don't want to get off on a tangent, but my first few years in Europe, I sucked. I went over there and got my, I got my doors blown off. And, uh, I can remember my mom even asking me like, is this worth going over there? Like, you're not really making any money. And I believed in what I was doing. I believed that I could get better and go win. And, you know, the first times I went to Germany, I came back and I made like 200 bucks when it was all said and done. And that's where the comment from my mom was prompted was it's big risk. You're traveling across around, you know, all the way to Germany in the middle of winter and you're, you're making $200, right? Is that really worth the, the risks you're taking? And, uh, it wasn't so much about the 200 bucks. It was about, I knew I could go get it done. I just needed to figure it out. I needed to put the work in and refine my skills 
but I knew I had it. I knew I had it in me because in practice and stuff, those guys weren't, they weren't better than I was. They were, they just had their game polished and they had the start styled and they knew what to do. And over time, that's what it became for me. And I was the guy that would go in and I was the guy to beat, right? I won a lot of races in Germany. Um, and I knew going in that I was, there were a lot of weekends I knew going in that I was going to win and yeah, anything can happen in a race, but I knew I was the favorite going in. And so I was very proud to get to that level. And it was something that didn't come easy. I, I know what it felt like to go over there and just get smoked and get fly, get on the plane on Sunday or Monday, basically making no money. You sucked all weekend. Your team's disappointed in you. And Germans are very results driven as a culture. Um, if you're, if you're winning, you are the greatest thing that's ever happened to this earth. And if you're not winning, if you're doing poorly, then they really determine your worth as a person based on your result. And that's just how they are. It's not a good or bad thing. That's just their, their culture and their personality. So when you're doing poorly, yeah, they're not pumped. They are not happy with you. And you can feel that all the way, you know, back on a 10 hour flight home. So, I didn't want to ever feel like that again. And I worked my ass off, pardon my language, to make sure that I wasn't going to be that guy when I showed up, you know, back in Stuttgart the next year. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm proud of that. Thanks for the question, Sam. But, uh, sorry, I got a lot of little long winded on there. I don't really like talking about myself so much, but there are some things that, um, that I am proud that I was able to, to work through and overcome. Uh, Mark Yorkie, another buddy of mine. All these guys keep writing in. Um, he's got a few questions here. Um, so how much would press day practice, um, affect their ability for their race on Saturday? And honestly, not much. Uh, they get three practices on Saturday. It affects their first untimed session, right? They're going to pick the track up much more quickly, but these guys are such such pros and they're, they ride so much that by the time racing comes around the, the press day riding they did on Friday really doesn't matter. Um, you don't even get to ride the whole track on Friday. You get to ride most of it or sometimes just some of it. Uh, the whoops aren't even out there. So to me, it's not really a big deal. I do think it helps some of the privateer guys if they're on the road and they don't have a track to ride on during the week, that can absolutely be a big factor for them. But the sports elite, you know, like bringing Eli Tomac or Roxon in on Friday to ride some, I, in the end, on Saturday night in the main event, it probably doesn't really matter at all. Um, another question, five best or dirtiest takeouts that I can recall. Uh, whew. I would say Bradshaw's in most of them. <laughs> Bradshaw was so dirty. And, it, and most of the time, it was towards Matasevich, but just just – uh, YouTube Bradshaw's takeouts and some of the, you won't even believe what you're watching because if that was now he would be suspended. Like they would, they would probably take his license. He was so dirty. Um, I probably would have hated him if I raced against him. I would have absolutely despised him with the way he rode, but now he, and he was my hero back then, but now he's, he's a really good friend of mine. Uh, Vince Freezy is going to be hard to find some of his takeouts in his earlier years. And, and I give him a lot of credit. He's really cleaned up his game. He doesn't do stupid stuff like that really anymore or very often anyway. And, uh, yeah, I see his dad and I, you know, I really respect the, the long way that Vince has come and changing his approach to racing. 
what else? What other takeouts? I'm trying to think what comes to mind immediately. Obviously the, the stew and Chad stuff was pretty good. Um, I don't know that they were necessarily trying to take each other out all the time. They were, they were battling for wins and they were certainly trying to be aggressive, but it, it wasn't really always a full on takeout, but, uh, I would start with Bradshaw. I don't think you're going to get much more aggressive than what Bradshaw was doing. What's the best takeout on me or me taking someone out? Freezy for sure had the best takeouts on me. Uh, he did it a lot. Um, Tyler Evans had a good one on me at, uh, us open one year. I mean, just, he cut across, cut a complete corner, like front, didn't even try to turn and just blasted me into shoot. I don't, I don't know. I guess the next County blasted me into Laughlin. Let's say, uh, I didn't even see it coming. And all of a sudden I was ejected off the track. Um, but that's, that was Tyler's style. So, um, I should have probably known it was coming. I honestly didn't even know he was there though at all. And then I was on the ground, um, me taking someone out. I think the dirtiest takeout I ever pulled off and I, I absolutely did it on purpose. Um, and some, somebody's going to chime in here and say Mike Pacone, but I, I wasn't trying to knock Pinecone down. I was just trying to bump him and share my displeasure with his move. Uh, but I absolutely took Matt Bonney out in 2010 at Anaheim two, Anaheim two or Anaheim three. And he, there was an ongoing feud with he and our team and he, he just wanted to ride dirty with me every single time. And Matt Bonney, if you want to talk about one of the dirtiest riders I've ever seen, he's right in there. And he just kept plowing me every time I saw him and he was a former teammate of mine. So I finally had enough and I was right behind him and he went to turn and I, I made no attempt to turn and I knew I wasn't trying to turn to turn. I knew we were both going to crash and I was absolutely there for it. I wanted to hit him as hard as I possibly could. And I did. And we both ended up underneath our motorcycles and uh, we both got in trouble. I got on probation. Um, but he had it coming and I wanted to absolutely deliver it. And I have no regrets. I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I would tell him to his face that he had it coming. And, and, uh, yeah, sometimes it's just got to go that way. You can only take so much from somebody before you just draw a line in the sand. If you've ever seen big Lebowski, uh, this, that aggression would not stand. And yeah, it was, it was absolute go time for me. So, uh, thanks for the questions, Mark. Good to see you this weekend. So those are what I have for this weekend. As far as uh, listener feedback questions, I appreciate it. Please email me jason36 at aol.com. If you have more of those and, uh, I love getting into some of that stuff, answering not so much questions about myself, but, um, questions about the sport because, you know, Jason Wygant taught me something. Um, a lot of the things that I take for granted or things that I just, I don't really think they're insightful because I've been around this my whole life. And it literally is all I do. I just, you know, live, eat and breathe the sport. I think they're common knowledge and really basic and fundamental, but casual fans or people that this is their favorite sport, but they don't get to go to the races all the time. And maybe they don't even get to race, right. But they love this sport. It's, it's something that they would think, or they would learn. Right. And, and I, so I have to really approach it that way. And I, I like answering questions for things that maybe I think are really, really common sense, but they're not They're They're common sense for me because I am so 
just uh, embedded in the sport, but I need to do a better job of sharing some of those things and making sure that I'm addressing the things that you guys are have questions about, but maybe I don't even think it's it's relevant to talk about. So again, I appreciate it. Thanks to all the sponsors again. Uh, your support means the world to me and uh, allows me to to keep doing this week in and week out. Next week is Atlanta. And uh, for all of you who've never been to Atlanta, it's one of the best races of the series. Great turnout, great fans, great dirt. Um, we got a new stadium a couple years ago, so that was a big change. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks again. See you.